Jackie Green. He's way too nice. Okay. So, like he said, we started in Hosea, and that was a month ago. So y'all totally listened, those of you guys that were here, and you learned, and you've been thinking about it since, but in case you didn't, I didn't write this like a part two. I wrote it like a standalone thing. So if you don't remember it or you weren't here, you can track two, okay? Because there's been a lot of time in there. Um, but like he said, we have been in a crazy season. And um, for those of you guys that know me, you've probably heard, I love the Bible. Like, I love, I love, I love the Bible. And I've found so much that in hard seasons, when I'm reading the Bible, it's like I'll be going through like a book or a passage in a book and I'll get stuck. And like, I'll read it and then I'll read it again and I'll read it again. And it's like the Lord will just start encouraging me and speaking to me there. So I'll just keep reading it and I'll keep reading it and I'll keep reading it. But the really funny thing about it in this season, it's a tough season, I'm stuck and it's the book of Hosea. And I promise you guys, like I'm in seminary, so we spend all day talking about the Bible and, and talking about church history and all this. And I really have like classmates that are like, why are you still reading Hosea? Because it's about a prophet who God called to marry an immoral woman who ends up in prostitution and, and sexual slavery, right? And then he has to go buy her back. He has to go buy back his wife and redeem her. And instead of being like the angry husband, he probably rightfully could have been, he invites her back into his home and he loves her as a wife again. And, and he welcomes her back. And so what we talked about last time is that is a picture of the gospel. That right there is a picture of the gospel that every single one of us, now we may not be a wayward woman who gets sold in, into <laughs> human trafficking, right? But every single one of us, like, we're broken and we do wrong. Yet, this creator God who created us and loves us like he sent Jesus Christ into this world, which is a mess, you guys, the world's a mess. And he sent like God in flesh into the world to live among us and then to die on the cross for our sins. And then because he's God in flesh, he didn't stay dead and three days later he rose from, from the grave and he, and he conquered sin and death and that literally is buying us back from what we deserve, which is, which is separation from God forever, which is hell. That's what we deserve. But when Jesus did that, he bought us back, same as Hosea bought his wife back. And we're invited to be in a relationship with Jesus. And you guys, I'm stuck there because it's kind of beautiful. And the more I think about it, the more beautiful it is. And at first it was like just this really shocking story, and I was like, this is in the Bible. And I think every time I've read it, I'm like, this is in the Bible? Y'all, there's so much in the Bible. Like, pick a topic, and I can probably tell you, Sarah and I were talking about this the other day, well, the Bible says about that, right? There's so much in the Bible, but, but really, the more I look at it, it's just this beautiful story. So today, um, last time we did, like, the big picture, like, the whole of Hosea, that recap, that's, if you read the book, that's what happens, okay? And then there's a whole lot at the end comparing Israel, which is God's people in the Old Testament, to the wayward wife, and it's saying the way that they're treating their the God of the universe is the way that she treated Jose, right? Which is basically God loved them, and they were like, yeah, but we're going to go do our own thing. Okay, that's the way the people of Israel were treating God, and, and God's trying to, to get them back. And so in the end, there's kind of like some really interesting sayings 
and some really interesting thoughts. Um, and so we're going to kind of like look at that in a minute. And, um, and we're going to look, um, we're going to read the, the passage, and then we're going to look at one epigraph. Okay? And so, or epigram, sorry. So if you're like, what's epigram? It's a sticky, memorable little saying that expresses a word picture. Okay? So like within the book, the people are being compared to these different things. And so we're going to look at this one. But since it's ancient Israel, and that was a long time ago, right? Was that a long time ago? Y'all were like, the beginning of the semester was a long time ago. <laughs> ancient Israel was a long time ago, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and like modernize it and like bring in a picture that you might, you might be familiar with. And it's my little quiver. I can't do this. It's Katniss Everdeen. Right? Y'all know Katniss? Any Hunger Games fans? I did not bring arrows. I thought, um, right? But, okay, so when I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about this particular epigram, the whole time I was thinking, I'm no Katniss Everdeen. And what I mean by that is this. is like in those Hunger Games movies, Katniss finds a bow, and girl, like, picks it up. She, like, finds an arrow, and she's, like, one shot, right? And, like... She catches animals, she like surprises people, and like she like hits a mark that's right between like two gentlemen and doesn't kill either of them, right? And I'm like, if I were in that scene and I were Katniss, I'd be like, and somebody be dead, all right? Uh, because I'm not any good with a bow. I'm not any good with a bow. I think they're really interesting. I think after the, the movies came out, I wanted to try again, but then I remembered when my dad tried to teach me to shoot a bow when I was a little girl, I was really bad at it. And, um, and actually what I did, this is a fun story, fun fact about Jackie. I pulled it back real far, and he was like, pull it further, pull it further. And I pulled it so far that I pulled the arrow past my hand, and then I let go. And I shot myself in the hand. <laughs> and that's how great an archer I am, okay? So I am no Katniss Everdeen. But I think that that will kind of help us picture, because this, um, this epigram is about a bow, right? And that's probably, in our current context, unless you go to the shooting range and you like to shoot bows and arrows, which some people do, but it's not a lot of people there, not a lot of people. That's probably like the closest we get to like having a picture or like a thought as like a really good archer. Um, or at least for me, I know there's some video games that have other ones, but anyway. So, shooting a bow is hard, right? And um, and, it, and it's tricky. So we're going to look at the word. I'm not going to hold this the whole time because it'll just fall or I'll, you know, whatever. We're going to look at the word and then we'll kind of like dig into this particular thing. So in Hosea 7, give your Bible, you can pull it out or it'll be up here. Uh, but I always like the paper, your Bibles. We'll start at verse 1. It says, I want to heal Israel, but its sins are too great. Samaria is filled with liars. Thieves are on the inside and bandits on the outside. It's people don't realize that I'm watching them. Their sinful deeds are all around them, and I see them all. So this is the Lord speaking to the people through Hosea. The people entertain the king with their wickedness. The princes laugh at their lies. They are all adulterers, always aflame with lust. They are like an oven that is kept hot while the baker is kneading dough. On royal holidays, the princes get drunk with wine, carousing with those who mock them. Their hearts are like an oven, blazing with intrigue. They're Plot smolders through the night, and in the morning it breaks out like a raging fire. 
burning like an oven, they consume their leaders. They kill their kings one after another, and no one cries to me for help. The people of Israel mingle with godless foreigners, making themselves as worthless as half-baked cakes. Worshiping foreign gods to sap their strength, but they don't even know it. Their hair is gray, but they don't realize they're old and weak. Their arrogance testifies against them, yet they don't return to the Lord their God or even try to find him. The people of Israel have become like silly, witless doves, first calling on Egypt, then flying to Assyria for help. But as they fly about, I will throw my net over them and bring them down like a bird from the sky. I'll punish them for all the evil they do. What sorrow awaits those who have deserted me? Let them die, for they have rebelled against me. I wanted to redeem them, but they have told lies about me. They do not cry out to me with sincere hearts. Instead, they sit on their couches and wail. They cut themselves begging foreign gods for grain and new wine, and they turn away from me. I trained them and made them strong, yet now they plot evil against me. They looked everywhere except to the Most High. They're as useless as a crooked bow. So that's, that's saying a lot. In like a relatively short amount of time, we get kind of a picture of the state that Israel is in. Basically, they're going to everything else but God. And, and we see throughout this several of these little epigrams, right? Like they're like an oven that's kept hot. They're like a silly witless dove and a half-baked cake, right? Which is not so good. Half-baked brownies made. A half-baked cake is disgusting, right? But the one that caught my attention when I was like reading through this book, and as I was saying, it just kind of like kept coming up and kept um, drawing me to it was this. They look everywhere except to the Most High. They're as useless as a crooked bow. So Israel, in other words, is not Katniss either. Um, they're missing the mark, right? They're missing the mark. And the last time we talked about Hosea, we learned that often when it talks about Israel, we can also understand that that's talking about us. Because a lot of times we act like Israel, which is uncomfortable. We don't really like that. But it's true. So a lot of times we act like Israel. And um, so it... It could, I mean, it could be talking about you. You might be like, no, I love the Lord. I'm on fire for him. I'm trying to do everything I can to, to reach people for him and to love him. And if that's you, that's good. But a lot of times, all of us, even when we're living for God, deep in our heart, at some point, we're like, well, there's some place that I'm kind of missing the mark. Um, and I think that's why this gripped me, because it was just such a great picture of, of how it is when we are trying to serve the Lord, but we let other things distract us and cloud us. Um, so in Psalm 78, 57, it makes the same observation. It says this, They turned back and were as faithless as their parents. They were as undependable as a crooked bow. So what do you think a crooked bow might mean? Like, is a crooked bow a really good one? Is that what Katniss wants to use in the movie? Oh, no. It means that Israel had become misguided. They were aimless, and they were doing possibly what looked right. Like, if you just pick up a bow, you don't know anything about it. I mean, it looks, it looks like a weapon, right? But it's not useful because it ended up sending arrows in the wrong direction. Um, so when we talked about Gomer and Hosea, we learned that she shot for love and fulfillment and ended up in prostitution and slavery, right? 
was kind of a, a, the way she went about fulfilling those longings of her heart, that was a crooked bow, right? Because she's like, shot for love, and she ended up way over here. Um, and so Israel at this time, they were trusting in foreign powers instead of trusting in the Lord their God. So they were shooting for security. They're shooting for prosperity. But in doing that, they, were getting, they weren't getting what they hoped for. Um, and Jennifer Rothschild, she wrote a book on Hosea, and she says this. We long for identity, but we land in crisis. We target acceptance, but we hit greater insecurity. I don't know, have you guys ever been there? Where in your life, you're like, you're going for one thing. You're like, I want people to like me more, right? Or I want to have more money. Or I want to be somebody that's important. But like, when we go about it the wrong way, man, we end up just, just more empty or more broke or in a world of, of hurt because we perceive those things the wrong way or we want to be important. You know, and I know like in my life when I was younger, like I, I wanted to be important, I wanted to be loved, I had this longing. So I'd date all these horrible people. Well, that ended badly. Every single time it ended in, in tears and heartache and terribleness. Yet I would go do it again. I would go do it, you know, because my heart was like, I need to fill this in. And I was just going very wrong thing. Um, so sometimes we're aiming at one place, but everything else turns out wrong, and it reaps the wrong results. So let's think about this. In these brief sentences, right, they're as useless as a crooked bow. Who is who? Right? Think about who is the archer? Who is the bow? Who or what is the arrow? Because I think lots of times in life, we like to think that we're the archer, right? It's like, I'm in charge of my life, and I'm going to shoot for this, and I'm going to get it, right? A lot of times I like to think that I'm, I'm the archer, and I'm the one that's shooting the bull, and I'm in control of my life. I've got this. But in a godly scenario, right, God's the archer. God's the archer, and I'm the bow. And so the arrows might be the gifts or the talents or the abilities or the things that God has given us, right? So God has individually chosen and crafted each of you for a special purpose, each of us. He made us perfectly to be who he wants us to be, the chosen and loved people he created. And you guys, God does not create faulty folks. He doesn't create crooked folks. If we choose to embrace our identity as a loved, accepted, and complete child of God, we can be comfortable in who he made us to be, even if we're imperfect, right? Because if he's the archer and he's perfect, if God's perfect, then he's, he's going to know how to shoot the bow, right? Our effectiveness and our faithfulness depend on the archer. And so I think that's where it breaks down. It's like, I'm not always faithful. I'm not always dependable. So I can't be the one that's in control of my own life. I've got to be the instrument that's put in the hands of God for him to use. Um, and I think that's where a lot of times I've gotten confused with this. And praise the Lord, God's an even better archer than Katniss. Even better. So I want to avoid being a faulty bow. And I want to be somebody that God can use. And I'm sure you guys feel the same way. I want to be used by God. So 
here's a few ways that we end up being faulty those, right? The first one that we already said is that we, we just try and take everything on our own and be in charge of our own selves, right? The second one is faulty bows can be too rigid. They're stiff and they're unmovable, right? And I, I think this is a picture of demanding our own way. Like demanding that God, I love you and I wanna serve you, but you need to do this. And I'm gonna be this when I grow up and graduate from this university. And I'm going to make this much money. I'm going to have 2.5 kids. I'm gonna live in the perfect house with five bedrooms. And I'm gonna have like two dogs and like one cat if it's not hairy and gross. And, but anything you want, God, just so long as it involves all of my requests, right? And that's like the rigid bow. And you know, at some point, I think sometimes the Lord's like, well, I had a way better plan, you know, but you won't let me do anything with you, right? And the other way we can be a faulty bow, besides being too rigid, is to be too easily bent out of shape, right? Which is probably like this one, this is a little toy bow uh, for my daughters, right? But this is, um, this is when we elevate our own wants and wisdom and our own emotions. Right? Where it's like, God tries to send us in a direction where we're like, oh, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable. And I would just rather than God. And I'm, it, you know, or, or he's like, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, oh, that lady's not nice. I would love to share the gospel with someone today, but not that someone. You know, like we get really easily bent out of shape. And honestly, you guys, like, I was, I was talking about this, and I was, like, praying with the Lord. And, and I ended up at this place, I was like, Lord, can you be both too rigid and too easily bent out of shape all at once? Because that would probably describe me in way too many occasions, right? The God's like, I want to use you. And I'm like, I'm, I'm immovable and also, like, emotional. And, you know, I'm definitely not just trusting him that I'm in his hands. And he's going to have his way and do amazing things. Right, I'm, I'm trying to like tell him about my feels and tell him how to, how to do it. And, and that so often um, describes me, both of them. So what about you? Do you tend to be too rigid? Do you too easily get out of shape, given out of shape? Or are you like even willing to put your hands or put yourself in God's hands and trust him that he could use you? Are you still trying to be the archer, right? Where are you in that picture? Because if God is the master archer, you're the bow, I'm a bow, and our gifts, talents, and abilities, and calling, those are the arrows, that's the perfect combination for God to do amazing things in the kingdom. When we don't trust God, we become faulty bows instead of faithful ones. The arrows we try to shoot are misguided and aimless, and our attempts fall short or go astray and we end up still feeling unfulfilled. Like Israel, when we try to be in control or be the bow, we end up going after other lovers, and this is because we misunderstand our identity, and we're looking to something other than God to give us the identity we long for. So Rothschild said this. She said, when we put God first, we have everything. When we put anything, including ourselves, before him, we have nothing. And I think she said that so well. When we put God first, we have everything. If we put anything, even me first, we don't 
have anything. We have nothing. And so Jesus talks about the same concept. He doesn't use archery. Okay. But the same kind of idea in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, 22 through 24, he says this. It says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is full with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I think it's really interesting because he starts out kind of general, right? And he's, and he's talking about light and dark, but then like Jesus, at the end he pulls no punches and he's like, you can't serve God and money. It's not going to work. Um, and then he starts talking about worry. So that makes me think that Jesus, our Savior, knew that people worry a lot about money. And we tend to put it first. We put other things first, too. But, but money, what is that worrying about money? It's security. It's like we want security. We want to know that we'll be taken care of. We want to know that we'll have everything we need. And it is hard to trust God when we don't see where that's going to come from. Um, but in this passage, so he's talking about the eye. He's saying a healthy eye takes in light. And like any of you guys in like nursing or biology studied eyes, right? It's like you need light to see. If there's not light, your, your eyes not doing anything, you can't see. And you can't focus. And so this whole passage, he's really talking about focus. So it's like if you have light and you can see clearly, you can focus and you can see where to go. Right? But if you don't have light and it becomes dark, you cannot focus. And you, and you don't know what, where to go. And even if you were headed in the right direction, right? Because you could see, you had light. You're headed in the right direction. At whatever point you can't focus, think you have enough light, but you don't. I don't know about you guys. I, don't, I have really bad night vision <laughs> driving and stuff, so like this is super relatable to me. It's like, you, you think you can, and it's like, but you can't quite focus, so you just, right? Well, it's like, if you walk in those two directions for long enough, eventually they're really far apart, and you've completely ended up where you didn't intend to be, right? And Jesus, he understood that. <coughs> He's saying, so we need, we need light. We need the light of, of God's word and, and God's ability. Because he's saying, sometimes we think we have the light. It's like when we're self-sufficient and we're like, oh, I know how to get there. And we go. And um, the Lord's like, that's, that's not how to get there. Um, right? And, and I don't know if you guys have ever been in the situation literally with like seeing and not being able to. I like hiking. I love hiking. You guys, and I can't remember, I went on a camping trip with my dad and some friends and like their dads when I was in middle school. And we were staying on this island, it's called Cumberland Island, it's off the coast of Georgia. And it's super rustic. Like, there is like one shower bathhouse and like campsites and tents. Like, there's not, there's not stuff. And so, me and some of the girls, we went to the beach, because it's a little beach island. We went to the beach, and like as we're hanging out on the beach talking, the sun goes down. And we like turns, and we're like, oh, we see where the trail is. Right? We see it. It's, it's there. It's fine. And, and the sun goes all the way down. 
And so we're like, okay, we should probably go back because our dads are going like, to get mad at us or whatever. Um, so we, we turn, and as we're walking from the beach to the trail, the one flashlight we had, you know, because we're 12, so they one flashlight from the girl, a whole big group of girls, it dies. Right? And we're like, it's cool. We saw where it was. We saw it like, start chomping. We went through bushes. We encountered wildlife like an angry badger. Right? And eventually, eventually, as we stumbled through not the trail, we saw a light and it ended up being the bathhouse. So we just like kept going until we got to the bathroom. And then in our maturity, we huddled together and we like started yelling really loudly because we needed our daddies to come save us. <laughs> um, but I think it's, it's funny, but it's, it's kind of a really good picture, isn't it? And what we do, we try and go to London. We're like, oh, I know the way. And, and we end up and we completely miss the trail that would have been clear. And I would not have been scratched up. And I would not have seen an angry badger, which is really scary if you've ever encountered that. Um, and we didn't see it till it's like here. It's like, but there was a bunch of us, so I guess we looked big. Um, you know, and because there's no light. <laughs> there's like moonlight, that's it. And, and we wouldn't have ended up in this, right? And so we end up in this giant mess, and then what do we do? We like finally find the light, and we run towards it, and then we like wait there, and we go, Dad! Right? And it's such a good picture to me of like what we do when we try and go it alone. So we end up in, in the middle of nowhere, we don't know what to do, and we cry out to God, and we're like, help, right? And then what does God do? He comes, and he finds us, like, like Hosea redeemed Gomer. And like God over and over and over again redeemed Israel and brought them back and helped them, right? God comes and he finds us. So you guys, it's the end of the semester and I know that you guys are probably tired. Anybody? Yeah. You're probably fully done with school, right? Uh, full of stress, ready for these classes to be over. So my encouragement to you tonight is do not lose focus, right? As you finish up your classes, stay focused on Christ. As you take your finals, stay focused on Christ. And when the semester finally ends and you get to rest and relax, especially then, stay focused on Christ. Because a lot of times, y'all, we make it through the finals, and we make it through the papers, and we make it through the sleepless nights, and then we get to the day where we finally get to sleep and rest, and we forget all about God. And, uh, it's like we didn't trip up and end up in doing something dumb that we never planned to do when we were writing that paper, right? It's two days later after the final when we're, we like slept a little bit and we just let our guard down. Right, so don't lose focus on Christ. Don't be a faulty bow. You don't have to practice, right, to become like a great archer, like Katniss. You just have to place yourself in God's hands and let him be the master archer. So we're going to pray. And, um, and as we pray tonight, we're going to pray for uh, three things, right? The first one is you might not have a relationship with Jesus. You might not have a relationship like we talked about at the very beginning, where we, you've trusted him as Lord and Savior. And if you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, you, you can't trust him to be like this archer that's going to guide your life, 
right? And so we're going to give you an opportunity in a minute to, to pray and say, like, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know you as Savior, and then I'm going to trust that you're going to help me to grow in that and learn more about that. The second thing we're going to pray about is control. Maybe you're realizing that with God you're too rigid or you're too easily bent out of shape. And so invite him to be the archer and trust yourself to him to be the bow, right? The third thing is focus. So maybe you want to be used by Christ, um, but sometimes you, you realize that, like, you're trying and you just kind of, like, wander off in the wrong direction. Actually, I feel like who does not do that, right? But the focus, you asking the Lord to help you stay focused. So we're going to pray for those three things. Um, if you guys would, would bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for these students. God, I thank you for your word that, God, it's, it's beautiful and it's timely. And Lord, you teach us again and again and again when we read it of your love for us. Lord, your sacrificial good love for us. Lord, I pray that you would just make that evident to each and every person here today. In Jesus' name. So you guys are keeping your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Is there anybody here that would say, I don't know Jesus is my Savior, but I want to. Without you, you can just raise a hand. All right, is there anybody that would say, you know, I'm really struggling with letting God be in control in my life. Yeah, lots of people. Is anybody that would say, I want God to help me focus on him? Lots. Yeah. So, Lord, you see, God, you see us. I'm going to include myself in this. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name for those of us who struggle with giving you control. God, would you help us to trust you? God, to know that you are good. God, you have our best interests at heart. God, that your plan for us is best and your way to make it happen is best. And God, help us to trust you and begin to give you control in our lives. And Lord, for those who are wanting to stay focused on you, God, would you help us to focus on you? God, would you just um, rebuke every distraction in the name of Jesus? God, help us to stay strong and vigilant in following after you and seeking to know you more deeply. Lord, even when we're tired, Lord, even when we finally get to rest, God, I pray that you would keep us focused on you. And I thank you for, for each of these students. Pray your blessing on them tonight. In Jesus' name.